Welcome back, America. It's Hugh Hewitt inside the Beltway in the ReliefFactor.com studio. That music means it's time for the Hillsdale Dialogue. It's our week-ending conversation with either Dr. Larry Arn or Dr. Matt Spaulding or one of the terrific members of the faculty and team at, at Hillsdale College. All things Hillsdale are collected at Hillsdale.edu. All of our dialogues dating back to 2013 are found at HughForHillsdale.com. And Dr. Matt Spaulding agreed graciously to move up a half hour today to do our hour from 7.30 to 8.30 in the east and different times in the rest of the country because, of course, uh, Lindsey Graham is available only at 8.30. So, A, I appreciate your courtesy, Dr. Spaulding, but B, I appreciate the timeliness because um, you've been around long enough. You're not as old as I am, but you can remember Ronald Reagan uh, sinking a third of the Iranian fleet in 1988 after they pulled these shenanigans in the Arabian Gulf. What do you expect is going to happen now? Wow, a lot of moving things going on. I, I just, you know, it's, it seems to me so clear that the Iranians are trying to draw us in and try to get a, you know, uh, a, 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 a regional uh, conflict going on. They're they're suffering from the the, the uh, strangulation of their economy, and I think they're getting increasingly desperate. Uh, I think the question here is how long do we let that go? I mean, this this broadens that that kind of whole strategic perspective. I mean, and it kind of comes back to this question going on with Mexico right now. It's the way this administration is is looking at these things. How do you act strategically? Um, in, in a short-term way to use leverage and pressure, but you're trying to affect an outcome farther down the road. I, I just don't know how long we can we can put up with uh, with those shenanigans. I just I, I, I don't want us to be, see us to be drawn in for light uh, reasons. If we're going to do something, we should do something serious. But gosh, I, I'd prefer to see the Iranian. Uh, uh, country uh, continue to suffer under that and, and uh, perhaps lead to a revival of reforms within within the country, which has happened in the past, but unfortunately didn't, didn't wasn't good enough. And we should try that. You know, we should encourage that again. What you are articulating, Hillsdale College runs a center for statesmanship, both on campus and at the Kirby Center, which Dr. Spaulding helms in Washington, D.C., and you ought to follow Kirby Center at Kirby Center. For some unknown reason, Matt will not start a Twitter handle. Why don't you have Twitter, Matt? <laughs> I just, I, 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 I never have. I've, <laughs> it's, it's too many, I don't, it's not enough words, I, it's not enough ways to say things. All I you want know? you to do is link to things that I should read. I don't care if you ever, I just, I wish I read what you read, but now here's my, my point about uh, Prudence, when Lincoln ran the Union, he had a two-front war, the Eastern Theater and the Western Theater, and he had to devote resources to it. Right now, we have so many conflicts around the world and so many things that will follow. Dr. Michael Oren of Israel started the show by saying, if the United States hits um, uh, Iran, they will unleash Hezbollah. Hezbollah will draw Israel in. Meanwhile, Iran's trying to get Israel to attack Gaza. It's all very sticky. It's all very complicated. At the same time, we've got Venezuela and Cuba connected. So if you're the president of the United States and you're John Bolton and Mike Pompeo, luckily he's got the secretary of state's just, I think, the best we've had in a long time. The national security advisor has trained for this his whole life. What is the prudent thing to do when you're being aggressively egged to take action by the Iranians? Well, the first thing I'd point out is a, a key aspect of prudent decision making is understanding what information you know. I mean, if and I point that out because we, the listeners uh, outside, there's a lot of things we don't know that they do know, which, which means that um, uh, the, the prudent decision we might think of is not going to be the same thing as is 
is what they are seeing. They're seeing all this in real time. They're seeing more information. They're, get, they're getting information from their military. They also know what we are capable of doing at any moment. That's a, that information is necessary for the deliberative process of making good judgment calls as an aspect of prudence. That, so, so, so that said, I think that the, at least from the broader point of view of, of, of a framework, and I think what we are seeing, um, and I think this is why so many of the, the mainstream kind of diplomatic thinking elite uh, are, are upset, this is different than the way they approach it, but I think this is more of a, a natural political way that a statesman look at the world, is you're trying to connect all these moving pieces in ways where they relate to each other, but you're seeing how the resources in different areas uh, are relating, uh, what the outcomes might be, what our options are. But you, rather than looking at them you know, individually as diplomatic efforts or uh, regional pieces, uh, you're looking at it as a larger strategy having to do with something uh, uh, larger you're trying to, uh, to, to affect. And so you want all these things communicating. So you want your policies having to do with Central America and tariffs. Uh, those are related to your policies having to do with China right now. Uh, the questions in the Middle East have to do with your policies uh, with, with oil and all these other aspects. And we somehow think the mainstream media somehow thinks that this is mean-spirited on our part, um, they begrudgingly don't want to you know, give uh, any credence to the fact that there might be a strategy here. It just boggles my mind when I'm sitting back here seeing what seems to be uh, a broader strategic policy or strategic thinking about the world in light of our interests, national interests, but also thinking about a larger objective of encouraging certain types of regimes and certain types of actions in the world which protect us, but also protect the cause of democratic government. And so when when we have someone walk up to the podium today, uh, in fact, let me play for our audience and for you. This is Mike Pompeo, the Secretary of State, walked out yesterday afternoon after receiving all the information, assessing it, and gave a minute and 11 second statement, which is pretty complete, cut number 20. Iran is lashing out because the regime wants our successful maximum pressure campaign lifted. No economic sanctions entitle the Islamic Republic to attack innocent civilians, disrupt global oil markets, and engage in nuclear blackmail. The international community condemns Iran's assault on the freedom of navigation and the targeting of innocent civilians. Today, I've instructed our U.N. Ambassador Jonathan Cohen to raise Iran's attacks in the U.N. Security Council meeting later this afternoon. Our policy remains an economic and diplomatic effort to bring Iran back to the negotiating table at the right time, to encourage a comprehensive deal that addresses the broad range of threats, threats today apparent for all the world to see, to peace and security. Iran should meet diplomacy with diplomacy, not with terror, bloodshed, and extortion. The United States will defend its forces, interests, and stand with our partners and allies to safeguard global commerce and regional stability. And we call upon all nations threatened by Iran's provocative acts to join us in that endeavor. Thank you. What do you think he was saying there, Dr. Matthew Spaulding? Well, I, I thought that was a great, uh, a, a great statement. But uh, the, um, he put together all the pieces. I mean, 
think back what I was actually thinking of when I when I heard that was uh, say the um, uh, you know Powell statements leading up into the Iraq War, um, you know, uh, which is to say that. Uh, I, I think now uh, the United States is in a much different position uh, relative to Iran. They're different countries. Circumstances are different. But uh, we're, we're putting ourselves in a position of strength. Uh, they, we've, they've got the sanctions in place. Uh, Iran is the one that now has to lash out, as Pompeo says. They're doing things trying to provoke which means we can now go to the international community from a, a much more a position of strength to try to uh, assert pressure on the Iranian regime. But I think, I think Pompeo also made clear here very subtly that uh, you know beneath this velvet glove of diplomacy is the iron fist of our military strength, which we will assert if necessary. But doing it from a position of strength with the international community watching, everyone sees what's going on. Uh, it makes it a much more, much better position to be in diplomatically, such that when we have to take that action, if we do have to take that action, uh, it's much more justified. That's a very, I thought it was a very subtle and nuanced but clear uh, statement uh, in a very statesmanlike way. I, I thought that was a very good statement. I agree, because he's, he emphasized diplomacy. It was the Secretary of State, not the Secretary of Defense. It wasn't the Vice President. Right. It wasn't the President. It was, we would prefer to settle this diplomatically, but it does, I think, set the table. Now, um, I want to switch, if we can, because I want to spend most of our time on immigration. Dr. Spaulding, how long have you been working on the immigration issue uh, generally? I, not the border, but immigration generally. Uh, I, I've got to say 30-some years. And so why were you attracted to the subject matter to begin with? Because there are a lot of demographic uh, uh, geeks out there, and pardon my calling you a demographic geek, but a lot of people study immigration obsessively, not for political reasons, but because it's the future of countries, nations, and thus history. Well, I, I, would, I would say the, the, the question that originally attracted me, and I want to come back to the point you just made especially, but the question that actually originally attracted me uh, was uh, how the immigration question, especially this idea of, of people coming here as immigrants and becoming American citizens, did that, that idea, that how that might occur, the very notion of that uh, attracted me because that's a question really at the heart of, of what America means. And there was something different about how that occurred here as opposed to other countries, uh, Reagan famously liked to point out in his speeches that you can go to France but never become a Frenchman. Uh, you can become a, become a German citizen but never become a German. It takes generations because it's based on blood and soil. But here, anyone could come here and, in theory, become an American. It, it, it works different from a political point of view. And I was, I was attracted by that because I was interested in, in American thought and American politics. And so the immigration discussion became a way to understand that idea at the center of what America means. And once you get into that, it raises broader questions and points to, you know, what does it mean to have borders? What does a country mean? Why is something like citizenship important? And, and uh, all of, of, of those elements. So in, in a certain sense, the security aspects, the very particulars uh, we spend a lot of time debating today are, are extremely important, but we're in many ways secondary in terms of how I came to the issue. 
When I come back from break with Dr. Matt Spaulding, you can't follow him, but you can follow Hillsdale on Twitter and Kirby <laughs> Center at Hill, and maybe someday we'll get him to do it. We're going to talk about a phrase he just used, blood and soil. We are not blood and soil conservatives, Dr. Spaulding and I. We are the antithesis, actually, of blood and soil conservatives, but there is a lot of misinformation about people and a lot of blood and soil conservatives misuse the immigration issue for very tendentious and divisive purposes. We're going to spend some time talking about that this morning. I'll be right back with Dr. Matt Spaulding. Stay tuned to the Hugh Hewitt Show. Welcome back, America. It's Hugh Hewitt. It is the Hilltale Dialogue running a little bit off of our ordinary programming. Normally, we do it the last radio hour of the week, but Senator Lindsey Graham is available in the second half of the next hour. Sir, Dr. Matthew Spaulding, the director of Hillsdale College's Kirby Center, their sweet lighthouse of reason in the shadow of the Capitol, joined me early today so we could do our hours conversation and then post it over at HughForHillsdale.com. All things Hillsdale are collected at Hillsdale.edu, including the most terrific collection of online courses. Go there and be smarter. We, we suffer from a deficit of information, education, analysis, and prudence, and Hillsdale will fill that. Dr. Spaulding, in the last segment, we're talking about immigration, and this is so important. You use the term blood and soil immigration conservatism. That's not you. That's not me. But there's a lot of it around. Would you explain what that means and why it is not an American concept? Right. Well, the, um, uh, there's a lot of confusion about it. And I think that uh, one of the reasons why this conversation is so important is because you know, all this confusion surrounding this question of immigration, uh, security, citizens, asylum, all of these things um, really uh, turn on a, a, a going back to and getting correct uh, these underlying principles. This is almost always the case with many of these large questions which deal with the nature of what it means to be this particular country. Uh, what are its principles? This is why uh, American conservatism and liberalism, for that matter, broadly speaking, are always debating the meaning of the original idea of America. Do we want to conserve that thing? Do we want to liberate ourselves from it? Um, and we're always going back to that. And in this so, case, uh, go ahead. What are we yeah, say? So, so we were always going back to that, but we're not always going back to it in Europe. I mean, they, they don't believe no, well, in that, this. That, that was the distinction I was going to make, right? Okay. So, so much of that, of that question is a distinction between what it meant here and what it meant in the European tradition. And there you see a, a key difference, especially within conservatism, uh, but also broadly speaking in American liberalism. I'm using that in a very generic term uh, about what the difference is here. Let me give you an example, which is not immigration uh, based uh, at the time of the American Revolution. They're fighting a revolution against the king of England. And they are thinking about how we're going to justify a revolution. Is it common law? Is it, is it our compacts? Is it uh, our agreements through parliament? And ultimately, they turn to a argument about rights. But then the question is, are we going to merely are we going to fight for our rights as Englishmen? Well, up to a point, that's what they wanted: the rights of what it meant to be an Englishman, i.e., someone born in England and having the rights of an Englishman. But they realized that wasn't sufficient if you're fighting a war against the king of England. So they actually went beyond that. They went above that or behind that, however you want to put it, to the rights in nature held by all human beings. They made a universal claim uh, that really transcended the notion that we are defined by uh, where we're born, which is an old feudal argument, 
or our bloodline. Uh, we are not uh, by blood French or German or Italian. We appeal to something that was uh, a universal truth. And, of course, that's the center of the Declaration of Independence. And that so is, in fact, to... from which launched the idea of an American sort of citizenship different from anything that it, it's what American exceptionalism is actually based on. You said going under, over, behind. It's going right. higher, in my view. But distinguish that from what happened in the French Revolution, because I don't think the French Revolution, though they may have originally intended to pursue the same sort of thing, ended up doing anything remotely like the American experiment. Well, so what, what happens with the, 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 so the, the older, the old field, feudal argument, which is the blood and soil reference we made earlier, which was what it meant to be a citizen was defined not by an idea, but by where you're born, what your bloodline is. It's a, essentially an aristocratic notion of what it means to be a citizen. It's, it's what you inherited. Um, the, the French Revolution goes a different direction. They, they appeal to rights. They claimed to follow the American Revolution, but it was a much different thing. The, what they claimed was not grounded in nature, uh, which said it had no moorings, but it was, you know, it was revolutionary in the, true, in the true sense of the word, to break down everything. And so their notion of, um, of rights is much more rationalistic and open-ended, uh, and we are, you know, we are um, citizens of the world. So kind of modern cosmopolitanism, a lot of that comes out of the uh, the remnants of the French Revolution in European thinking as well. America Is it fair to say, Matt, they wanted uh, that they we got thirty seconds. They wanted nothing of tradition or God. They wanted license, and they wanted. Oh, that's they, right. So, so, so if those are your two extremes. America is is a, is another alternative, which is. We have a universal principle. We believe all men are created equal, which creates this no- notion of citizenship. Anyone can, can become a citizen, but it's in a particular nation. This nation with this constitutional system, which is why the other principle at the heart of this is consent. We must consent to our laws, and those can become citizens if we consent to that through our legal system. We continue the conversation about the immigration debate as a bill to assist people at the border. Pens in the United States Senate. Dr. Matt Spaulding will be back with me after the break to talk about why we want to help people who are in distress, but why we also have to keep our eye on those who are willing to become citizens in the highest sense versus those who are not. Stay tuned, America. It's the Hugh Hewitt Show. Welcome back, America. It's Hugh Hewitt. Bonjour, hi, and morning glory. I was just listening to the President of the United States uh, talking about Iran. Uh, my guest is Dr. Matthew Spaulding. He is the director of the Kirby Center, Hillsdale College's Lantern of Sweet Reason in the Shadow of the Capitol. Follow it at Kirby Center. Uh, Dr. Spaulding, he just said Iran did do it. He said that basically they, they left one behind. They had Iran written all over it. He also said they were unstoppable, and now they're in deep, deep trouble about Iran. And he said they were having a good time at Barack Obama's expense. They aren't going to be closing the Straits of Hormuz. What do you make of that? <laughs> I, I, I make of that a, 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 um, a president putting some markers down and letting them know what he lets. He just let them know what we know, and he let the whole world know that. And he's also said what we're not going to allow them to do. Um, so I think that's exactly what, what, what he should do, which is – and there's a lot of room in between there, right? So on the one hand, um, uh, we know what's going on here. Um, but on the other – and in, 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 in the extreme here, you're not going to close down that strait. 
because that's an international waterway. Um, in between, he's not told them what we're going to do. If you attack another one of the ships, if you do this, if you do that, that's all up in the air. And that's that, that was a good move. I like that. that. Wasn't, I, I mean, I just think they're watching, obviously. The whole world yeah. is watching. He just said Iran did it. Uh, they basically have Iran written all over the mine. One of them didn't explode. It's sort of like sending Stevenson to the U.N. Security Council with uh, uh, incontrovertible proof of the missiles in Cuba. We did the same thing with WMD in Iraq, and we were wrong. But on this, when you've got the mine, and, you know, we know Iran. We know Iran did right. it. He just he served notice. He's reinforcing what Pompeo did. It's very prudent. I want to go back to immigration. We have two subjects. Right now, Mitch McConnell was a guest on this show earlier this week. He's bringing forward a bill. It's not about border security. It's about uh, providing resources to process asylum claims and to house people uh, captured crossing the border without permission. It is being opposed by Democrats. How do you advise Republicans to frame this discussion, Dr. Spaulding? Well, I, I think that uh, going back to our earlier discussions, I think the the rhetorically at the very least but all just in in general but especially rhetorically and how we discuss these things it's important that we keep our eye on the ball what's what's the principle that informs everything about immigration um why do we have immigration why do we have immigration laws why are we making a big deal out of this uh, sometimes i think that the debate is down in the weeds so much and these are very important questions don't miss my point here but but sometimes we don't take the high ground. We don't point out what we're doing. Why are we trying to secure the border? Why are we trying to make uh, asylum? We're not de- de- denying asylum, but we're trying to make it occur through a a process, a predictable process, an understandable process under the rule of law, uh, with with reasonable terms and a lot of room to make exceptions. Why do we do that? Uh, and I, I think it's important to understand that that, that has something to do with the the, the the whole reason of immigration has to do with uh, inviting people, being very reasonable and humanitarian, but having a purpose to it under our laws, according to the principles of consent, moving towards, and what we're really uh, uh, inviting here are those people who are leaving countries because they need to be protected, but also want to come here with the intention of becoming Americans. Now, Matt, all of our immigration the, policies are designed towards that. It's about making Americans now, 5, 10, 20, 50 years from now, future generations. That's where it's about. And I think too often we don't talk about that, which leaves it to the, the critics to take the, the uh, more impassioned, what seems to be the, the idealistic high ground, when in reality that's what we're trying to do. We're not trying to keep people out because of the color of their skin or because we don't like them or where they're coming from. We're trying to do the best we can as an actual country with, with uh, resources and l- limits to what we can do, but being open to expressing and, up, and, and, and upholding our principles. And we've got to have a process to do that. It's got to be rigorous. It's got to be the rule of law. It's got to be compassionate, but it's in our interest, but it's also in the interest of everyone who wants to join us in this Republican uh, small-R experiment in self-government. 
Indeed, we're, the we're president just Europe spoke about well. the, pres- the president just spoke about immigration. Let's hear what he said. Mexico, a lot of good things are happening. Things that they've been trying to get approved, Brian, for 25 years. I got them done in one day. I put the tariffs on and we got them approved. And Mexico has been terrific. And, you know, it's really slowing down. But I watched Lindsey Graham and he's right. We have to get help from Congress. The Democrats in Congress are not giving well, us well, help. The, we need help from Congress. Right. They're really not. Uh, going back to the, the topic. Uh, about, so, uh, uh, that, that is, help from Congress is where we come. What you just said, Matt Spaulding, we want to make Americans. And that means, you know, the, the Hewitts arrived here in 1869 from St. Field, Ireland. He came through Ellis Island, my great-grandfather. He got, went and worked in the mines, got himself a little farm, put his kids in school, Catholic school for me. You know, civics was taught. Public right. education right. was required. We made Americans out of Ulstermen. And the same for my German forebears and my Irish and my Scots forebears and my Swiss forebears. They all were made into Americans. Have we abandoned that project? Well, let me answer by putting it this way. Yes and no, in the sense that 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 project will continue. It is occurring right now. The question is, what kind of Americans do we want? The problem, and the reason why there actually is a crisis at the border, is because we no longer control that process. That's the problem. Uh, And and people are are coming here – Many for nefarious reasons, perhaps many for legitimate reasons, but not under our control. And they will become Americans because over time, through generations, that's what's going to happen through a, 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 a natural process. And they get absorbed into the existing uh, system, whether that's the modern welfare state or the modern political system. Uh, and that happens. My point is that we should have some some uh, planning about that. We should think about it. How do we make Americans? How how should we make Americans? And I think that there is is why our whole system is designed. The principle is clear. Anyone could become an American, but to do so, you have to do it by through the process of consent, which means our consent, which is our laws of creating a process. Uh, and through that, you enter what is called a process of naturalization. You become a citizen as if it was a natural thing, but with some um, uh, agreed upon rules and uh, a process to teach you about what it means to be an American. But also, and, and I think this is important as well, we're going to give you the skills to be a successful American who can participate in and take advantage of all of the opportunities that we offer. And to do so, you need to know the, the language that we use in our economic system, and you need to have opportunities to hold a job and get a job and keep a job, not become a ward of the state, which is a, a rule under, under uh, naturalization, uh, and, and, and those things. And that creates a process by which one assimilates. Now, our, become, we have in the... Uh... Similar. Not the same. Similar. Assimilation. We, we have at the uh, Cleveland Indians a great first baseman named Carlos Santana. He's been playing for the Indians for many, many years. He was traded for a while. He's back. He's having a monster year. He became an American citizen last month, and everybody in Ohio was applauding him, et cetera. That's a conscious decision 
that it was not made when he emigrated to the country to play baseball. It was made subsequent on his part, consent by him, and he had to pass a test. That test, right. by the way, Doug Ducey is now requiring every high school senior in America to be able to pass because it's not hard, but it's necessary. It's the basics of how do we govern ourselves. And the idea of a citizenship test seems quaint to a lot of the progs out there, the social justice warriors, but it's everything, Matt Spaulding. It's everything. No, that, that's right, which is why so back in the second Bush administration, there, was a, there have been various pushes. And one of the things that was created, which I had a hand in, was an Office of, Ameri- of, of Citizenship. And uh, we reworked and worked on the citizenship test and gave it a little more substance that was there before. It could still be, uh, I think, be improved. But the, the idea is that... Um, if America is not like a blood and soil country, right, uh, then becoming American is, is not a process like it is in a blood and soil country. Here it is based on an idea, and the way you express that is through consent, which means you got to learn something about not monarchy, not despotism, but Republican self-government. A test, naturalization, civics courses, all that is crucial to the public. It's about Republican self-government, not the Republican Party, but the form of government. One more segment coming up with Dr. Matt Spaulding. We'll also keep our ear tuned to President Trump as he talks on Fox and Friends, bringing the news when we return to the Hugh Hewitt Show. Welcome back, America. It's Hugh Hewitt concluding this week's Hillsdale Dialogue with Dr. Matthew Spaulding. He leads the Kirby Center. You can follow the Kirby Center on Twitter at Kirby Center. He is Hillsdale College's vice president here inside the Beltway. You can also follow Hillsdale at Hillsdale.edu. Matt Spaulding, I want to end. The president continues to make news, and he's talking about Kellyanne Conway and the bogus charge against her, and it's all very interesting, but that will pass. Mitch McConnell wants uh, billions of dollars to assist people at the border in a humanitarian way, and that means to house, feed, care for, provide basic uh, uh, nutrition and supplement as they wait to be processed as to whether or not they will be allowed to be in the country to become this process we've been talking about. Why would any Democrat oppose that? What is the upside for people opposing human? It's not the fence. It's not border patrol. It's for humanitarian aid. What is going on? Well, I, I think if, if there was ever an argument about what the left was up to, I think now there's actually quite some evidence about what they don't like. Uh, if you think about this deal with Mexico and how people are reacting to that, uh, this asylum bill, any conversations about the wall or anything like that, I, I think the, 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 the modern left is having a uh, somewhat of a, their own intellectual crisis, and they're quickly abandoning the kind of the what, what it were for a long period, for most of its history, uh, the kind of widely accepted arguments about immigration uh, that we've been describing. This is this is not, by any stretch of the imagination, a uh, extreme argument about how this process should occur and how we want to be open and humanitarian, yet you know uh, have have an actual rigorous process. Why would you oppose any of that um, unless uh, you are? having troubles within your own coalition about making distinctions, because all of these things demand uh, recognition or process by which some people might receive asylum and some people might not receive asylum. You have to distinguish between things. And increasingly, I think modern liberalism, 
uh, progressive liberalism is incapable of making those distinctions. We, we, we see it in all of the aspects of identity politics and multiculturalism. Uh, you can't ever uh, assert some argument uh, that somehow uh, questions somebody else's status. And I, I think that right now they're almost being irrational in how they're thinking about these questions. This is an extremely reasonable approach um, we, we, to try to make this process work in a more humanitarian way. The, the, this, this deal with, with Mexico, uh, extremely good uh, approach, which is we're using the leverage we have with the tariff to do something in our national interest with an ally. We've found common ground. They don't want those tariffs, uh, but we've convinced them that they need to help work with uh, their, their, their southern border. But also it's tied back to the asylum question about at what point uh, people re receive asylum, where do they wait while they're receiving asylum, uh, and we're negotiating that. There seems to be some agreement on, on those terms because that takes the pressure off of uh, the United States to divide families and all these things that no one wants us to do, but also allowing people to come here and then releasing them into the country when 75% of them don't actually qualify for asylum. So these are all pretty reasonable measures, and, and, and I think that it's been politicized to such an extent that uh, we can't have what strikes me as a, uh, a bipartisan, rational, deliberative discussion about how to do this in a way that's a humanitarian, according to the rule of law, and in light of our higher principles of, of, of immigration policy. And, I, and I, I just have to believe, Matt, that eventually that's going to win out. I think that's a nonpartisan approach. And I, I, with 30 seconds, do you think the American people understand it to be a nonpartisan approach? Uh, I think it's, it's becoming clear as uh, the, the evidence of, of, of this crisis is just increasingly grows. It's being recognized by more people in the mainstream and even within the Democratic Party. Uh, these things can't continue. The ground, I think, is set for a, a larger agreement. Uh, we see things moving in the, in the Senate and the House. Uh, the administration, with this Mexico deal and other things they're doing, they're writing their own bill. I, I think we're having a, a new conversation. He's kind of reset the terms and opened up this conversation. I just Matt Spaulding, always a great pleasure. Everything at Hillsdale, hillsdale.edu. Follow Hillsdale on Twitter at Hillsdale. Follow the Kirby Center at Kirby Center. Follow me to the next segment, Dr. Lindsey Graham. Dr. Lin Dr. Spaulding gives way to Senator Lindsey Graham here on the Hugh Hewitt Show. <laughs> 